Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. And then you have this uh, relationship with Maurice White. Can you talk to that? Yeah, he's a very dear friend for passed away. Um, I mean, I never knew I would even meet Earth, Wind & Fire. You know, I was a fan, always going to their shows. And uh, and one of the things I loved about their records, how impeccably they were produced. And in my mind thinking, well, he's, he's a phenomenal producer. Him and, uh, well, first with Charles Stephanie and then after that maurice you know so i got a call from uh my publisher at the time uh, alma irving they said uh maurice white would like to meet you and uh, possibly do some work with you i'm like wow and I, I thought well okay they want me to collaborate they want me to write but they said no producing and we said what i said what <laughs> i'm 20 what 23 years old 24 years old at the time I'm thinking, what could they possibly, you know, the record company did say they wanted some new blood, and uh, but still, I'm like, oh, what could that be? And uh, we ended up, uh, of course, our first collaboration happened to go to number one uh, dance and R&B, and um, we started writing a lot of songs. He was doing one of the second solo albums. We wrote some songs for that, and just hit it off. We started having time to talk and and so we uh, forward to like a 30-year relationship and we must have wrote about 40 songs together mm. so uh when i think back it was like wow yeah, but there's songs sitting in the can you know one thing we had in common but i think maurice even more so than myself is when we cut a demo or we write a song that we want to put it down it's got to sound like a record or else <laughs> I, I mean we can't help it so Maurice I mean I learned even more from him about that and you know because he would say you never know if this demo will become a record and that made sense so uh, yeah a lot of these uh, songs that we wrote are just sitting there and we, we were able to release a album called manifestation uh, we got the rights from his estate and his son Gibran to uh, go ahead and uh, release I think it was 13 songs and so there's another 30 sitting there Wow and uh, so touch the uh, world was um, their comeback album in 87 
um, and uh, it was so good uh, to have them come back uh, at that point. Um, you know, the people I've spoken to about Maurice White, you know, Larry Dunn and, and Sheldon Reynolds and all these people, they speak so highly of him just as a, you know, maybe he was a bit of a perfectionist. I don't know. Uh, maybe a touch of that Benson thing because he was so good at what he did. But he seemed to always be uh, welcoming and just a, a, a good soul, a good guy. That, yeah, I think you hit it on the head. Welcoming and a good soul. And the perfectionist part, <clears throat> he, not not like George. Uh, like George, like I mentioned, it was to his fault because some of the things that he was, uh, George would be uh, concerned about really have nothing to do with the production of a record, or, or nobody would really know. Maurice, on the other hand, he would, if it was, if he was a stickler about something, you would know, yeah, he's right. <laughs> Either you would know then or you'd know later. Oh, you know what? He's right about this. And sometimes it wouldn't be the most complicated thing. It would be a simple thing. Like, uh, I remember when I first started writing with him, you know, I'm, I'm expecting, you know, he's got this brilliant mind and he's going to come out with these. i got to be on my game, too. And he came out with these real simple uh, verses to this melody I had. And I'm thinking... Is that is this really Maurice? <laughs> you know, I was thinking, but then the more I heard the song, I said, "Man, it fits perfect." And that explains, like, on songs like September, why he said, "Let's just make it body." Out. You know, that's all we sing. You know, so he he knows what a, a some good song is. Hmm. Yeah, one of a kind for sure. He is missed. Yeah. Um. And then talking about guitar players, you also worked with Stanley Jordan, who's uh, quite an amazing player. Yeah, he's he's really a genius. Um, and, uh, beyond this world, really, as far as what he does with that guitar. And uh, but then it's his personality, you know. Um, and once you spend time with him in a room without his guitar, you see, oh, that that explains why. He plays like that. He's so such a brain that uh, I started when I got the gig to produce this album, Flying Home. I was like, uh, "Oh boy, am I going to be able to handle this?" Because it wasn't so much handling the music part, but handling the technical, you know, brilliance of this guy and, and what he wants to do. And and uh, I know what the record company hired me to do. They wanted me to have some success with this guy's jazz uh, abilities. You know, they want us to have some hits. So, um, and he, he did too, but his perception of that was more of uh, esoteric. So what he did, this was back in the 80s before um, the internet uh, and all the things you can do with your computer are, are, are known. So what... What he did was, uh, once I saw that, wow, he's, he's, he's really a perfectionist, I said to my, I, I told my engineer, I said, we, we can't have him in the studio when we're mixing, <laughs> or we'll never get it done. So um, I, I broke the news to Stanley. It was a whole album, too, nine songs, I think it was. So I'm like, well, we'll never get finished if he's in the studio. So I said, Stanley. Um, you mind if, you know, my, my policy is that the artists uh, present their ideas 
however you want to do them. You can present them and we'll write them down and make sure we include them in the mixes, but we're not allowed to have the artists at the studio. He, he was cool. He said, okay. So when he came the next day, he brought me something like a 700-page manual <laughs> of his ideas for the mixes. I mean, I can see somebody having that print out, printed out today on a computer, you know. But the, the, this was in the day when you, you couldn't do all that. So uh, I don't know how he had all this printed out, but I hope he's not watching me. <laughs> But uh, here's what happened. So um, my engineer and I, we saw this. Of course, uh, we can't can't act surprised. But we're like, okay, thanks, thanks. And um, he left the room. He left the studio, and we we just tossed it. In the track. <laughs> and then we uh, we mixed the album because we knew we'd won. And then when he came to the studio to hear the mixes, he was like, oh, this sounds beautiful. Thank you for incorporating them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you definitely have to be a bit of a psychologist to be a successful producer, no doubt. Just like being a film director, I think. Yeah, yeah. You want the artist to be comfortable and happy as as much as possible. You know, as reasonable as possible. You know, print. You know, you mentioned Prince. I never worked with him, but I worked with his sister, Tyka Nelson. Uh, she was signed to Chrysalis. Um, back in the 80s, late 80s, and so, um, you know, she, she had a totally different sound. She was more like a Suzanne Vega or a pop Anita Baker kind of thing. So, but in the studio, she wanted to have the lights out and she wanted to face her back facing us in the control room. So, you know, I, I had two, uh, uh, two choices. I could say, no way, just do it regular, okay? Or, okay, whatever you want. And, of course, we, we went with, what, okay, whatever you want. And she felt comfortable. She sang great. Got it down. The company loved it. So, you know, I, I constantly was learning that you got to make the artist feel comfortable. I wonder if she had picked that up from her brother, though, because, you know, he would do things like that with isolating for his vocals maybe yeah. yeah i know one thing what's interesting is uh, on that tyka nelson album i did four cuts and i had my brother-in-law larry graham produce two and uh, co-produced two with me and uh this was way before he met princeton and, and i'll never forget um like i said her music was soft and totally different than prince so uh when Prince got wind that Larry Graham was working on something with his sister, he said, how did you pull that off? You ain't even funky. <laughs> that was his exact word. How did you pull that off? You ain't even funky. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds definitely right. I believe that. Um, so, Preston, you also worked with Starpoint, which, you know, is a departure from what we've been talking about, because we've been really talking about mostly solo acts, and uh, here's a group dynamic. What was that experience like? Oh, those guys were great. Um, the Phillips brothers, and uh, and they had a uh, great lead vocalist, Renee Diggs. But because they were brothers, there was a lot of uh, chemistry there that, 
that you know you get with family groups. So uh, I enjoyed working with them. A lot of people don't know why they had the name Starpoint. Um, I don't know if you do. Is it, geog is it a geographic reason? No, check it out. Their last name is Phillips. So a Phillips screwdriver has uh -huh. a start point, and that's what <laughs> I had no idea either until they okay. told me. That's, that's funny. Um, <clears throat> and that was after um, they hit it huge with Object of Your Desire, right? Was that the follow-up to that? I think it was. And, so. you know, you know, people, I remember doing a couple little interviews or, or talking to some people back then. Uh, you under a lot of pressure to follow up the success of, and I, I really didn't look at that. I mean, I, I did want to uh, be true to their sound, but I was just trying to make a good record that they liked and that we liked and uh, that the record company liked. But, uh, and the album didn't do as well as Optic of my desire but they did get some traction they were on soul train and a lot of other shows and they did go hit the charts so uh we were all happy with it i, I couldn't help but notice on your credits um you did some work related to i'm gonna get you sucker which um was a great super funny movie uh, with the wayne, wayne brothers uh what was your involvement you there you didn't say the last the word so i'm gonna get sucker sucker they, yeah. they, um, that actually came uh, I had no idea that this movie was even being made but uh, I did uh, four songs for Jermaine Jackson uh, two of those songs were on his album one still remains unreleased and one song a third song uh, Clean Up Your Act Clive Davis decided to put it in that movie so uh, that's how that happened. It was a song, uh, an outtake from Jermaine Jackson. I have to go back and, and watch it. It's been years since I saw it, although I've seen it more than once. Is it is it used in a funny scene? I think they were just at a club. I, I can't remember. You know, that movie had so many funny parts. I don't I don't think it was really, I think it was more background music than they were at some club or something. Um. And you mentioned Jermaine, but Jermaine Stewart is one that, you know, was a huge hit, kind of a, as far as, you know, I see sort of a one-hit wonder, but um, what was your involvement with that? Uh, we don't have to take our clothes off. It's probably um, arguably one of my most successful compositions. So, of course, Jermaine's version did pretty well, but then it's, it's been subsequently recorded by about 50 other artists, mm -hmm. mainly because of uh, Ellie Iyer. I don't know if you're familiar, but she had a uh, UK top uh, 10 hit with it maybe about 15 years ago. And so if you see, sometimes these people, uh, they come on The Voice or American Idol and they'll do a ballad version of We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off. That's, that's because of her version. Uh, taking that song and making it a ballad, but uh, that song was originally written, <clears throat> you know, when I was in the artist camp, it was originally written for Sheena Easton, and um, in fact, there's some of the words in there I had to change a little bit because it was more tailored for female, but um, 
that project that NARDA was going to produce on China kind of fell apart. So I had the song, actually I had the track already cut. So the song was just sitting there, and then here comes Jermaine Stewart with a high voice. And, uh, you know, fortunately, the song, he could sing it in the key that it was cut in. And, and uh, he heard the song and loved it. He said, oh, I love this song. So <clears throat> that's how he got it. And uh, we changed some of the words, and the rest is history. Yeah. I'll never forget, though, that that song taught me a lot about what you say in a song. Because I was just trying to write a nice... Actually, I was really thinking of Sheena Easton because... She put the word out that uh, she wanted to have a clean song that had a provocative title. I said, whoa, that's a challenge. <laughs> like Sugar <laughs> Walls? <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, Sugar Walls was not a clean song, but it had a provocative title. The reason why she wanted a clean song is because her original recordings, like a Morning Train and those early recordings were clean and she had a different fan base then of course she went the other way with sugar walls and all that so she said man i'm losing my original fan base i don't want to lose my new fans either so what could i do okay let's get a song that's clean but let's have a provocative title that's what the word she put out so that's why i thought we don't have to take our clothes off and when you listen to the lyric it's very clean you know so uh i didn't know once it became a hit all these newspapers and uh, radio stations and stuff kept calling me about what made you write a song for uh, abstinence on sex and teens, uh, you know, uh, safe sex and all that. And uh, of course, I had to come up with. <laughs> so of course, I was an authority then on it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I just wanted to write a hit song, man. <laughs> But it was uh, it was during the AIDS epidemic too, though, right? Yes, it was, and so. uh, ironically, Jermaine passed away from uh, AIDS complications. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, a year, many years later. But uh, yeah, that that uh, taught me that what you say in a lyric is very important. People are listening, and it's not just uh, background noise there. I didn't expect it to uh, come up so much in our conversation, but there's a lot of Prince threads going through this uh, with the Sheena Easton thing. And I was also going to ask you about um, uh, Tevin Campbell, who, you know. Yeah, he worked with Prince. Yeah. 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 Uh, wow. Very interesting. My, 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 uh, my uh, dealings with Tevin. Um, of course, I played on his album, but I didn't really, uh, I, of course, I got to meet him then, but I didn't really get to know Tevin until later, well after the Can We Talk, uh, actually, what was that album? It's called I'm Ready. But um, Kevin is responsible for me meeting uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce, and uh, it, it sounds interesting, but what happened was I did a jazz project for a guy uh, and we did a remake of Maybe Tomorrow by Jackson 5, and he wanted, you know, a great vocalist to sing, and I got Tevin Campbell to sing on it. So Tevin came to my home studio, knocked out the vocals, sounded great. So my wife cooked dinner for him. We were sitting around the dinner table, and we are just reminiscing about old songs. So I went to the piano and just started playing a bunch of stuff, you know, old 
whether it's old Delphonic stuff or old, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder stuff. And uh, so I didn't know he went away that night thinking that, oh, Preston could play anything. <laughs> so, because he called me about two weeks later and said, Preston, uh, I remember when I was sitting at the piano with you, you could play anything. Can you play Tomorrow? That song I had, Tomorrow Will Bring Better. I said, yeah, sure. What key? And then he said, well, Quincy Jones wants to um, have a surprise party at his house for these people from Dubai. And he did a, like a We Are the World for the uh, Middle East. And he wants me to sing. And that was the song that they chose. And he wants me to sing that live for these people from Dubai. And I wanted to know if maybe you could accompany me. So I said, sure. So I was at Quincy Jones's house. Of course, I'd met Quincy before. But I, a lot of the other people at the party I'd never met. I mean, there was a star-studded, you know, Harry Belafonte and Chris Tucker and Jay-Z and Beyonce and all these people. And uh, I sat there and accompanied uh, Tevin on that. And then the crowd was like, more, more, more. So uh, I started playing, can we talk? And he went into that. And this was all in front of those guys. You know, it was an interesting night. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, w any idea about what year that was? It wasn't too long ago. Let's see. It was about five years ago, maybe. Five, oh, six okay. Uh, back with I'm Ready, though, um, did you think that Tevin was just going to be a superstar? Well, yeah, he already was uh, a kind of a uh, comparison to Michael Jackson and all that because of the youth thing. I think he was only 16, too, on this album. So, uh, yeah, we were excited about, you know, working on the album. And then we found out, we, we didn't find out till the middle of the album that the other producers on the album were people we idolized too, like uh, Babyface and uh, Prince, and so it, it was a fun project. You know, I want to get uh, into your own stuff a little bit before we wind this up, Preston, but um, just before we do, just for the people watching, listening, I want to mention just a few of the other people that I didn't mention before that uh, are among your credits, uh, Benny King, Anita and June Pointer. Um, Norman Connors, yeah. and uh, the actor Philip Michael Thomas, uh, Frida Payne, um, just on and on. And, um, you know, I did notice this common thread that you have of uh, having done work with the Dells and um, the Stylistics and Lenny Williams and some of these, and you mentioned The Temptations coming up, some of these like old school classic uh soul vocalists what's what's the connection there and, and is there anything you can share with us about those experiences well uh yeah the connection is uh i love growing up listening to all of those artists music and uh so i have an affinity to write music like that or know what their uh parameters are in the production and stuff but i really uh got a chance to uh, start working with the, these these groups. Uh, Fantasy Records, I don't know if you've heard of them, but uh, they're based out of Berkeley. And uh, they ended up 
getting the right to use the uh, stacks vote name uh, on on uh, some releases as as their label moniker. So in the late 1990s, early 2000s, they signed a, a host of those kind of groups. They signed the Delphonics, they signed the Dells, they signed Free to Pain, they signed the Dramatics, uh, a few others. So uh, uh, I, along with their staff uh, producer, co-produced like about five albums on a lot of those groups for Fantasy. And through that, got to meet and work with... Uh, some people that ended up being great friends. Free Pain is like uh, one of our best friends right now. And um, Evelyn King, um, her comeback album, Open Book, uh, she's been on the show. She's just a delight. Um, yeah. And she spoke so highly of, of what you brought also to that project. Yeah. Evelyn, uh, that, I think uh, because the label wasn't really set up to promote it right and do, do what they should have, but Evelyn sang her heart on uh, heart out on that whole record, uh, and she really proved that she was not just a dance diva; that she could sing a ballad and make you cry. And uh, it was through that album that we got close to uh, her and her husband Freddie. And uh, to this day, we really admire her as a person. And it was just a little bit before that; the timing was close when you uh, came out with your first solo record. Um, what, uh, right, 2006? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what, uh, how did the stars align or what happened that it, it finally got you to put something out under your own name? Um, there was a record label run by a musician, um, and he pretty much said, uh, have you ever thought of doing any solo albums? I said, yeah, and no. I, that's why I haven't done because I thought about doing it and I don't want to do it. And he said, but you don't have to do it where you sing. You could do, you know, how Quincy Jones makes albums and he has James Ingram sing. And, and then he made me think, hmm, I could do that. And then, then I started thinking it could be a good avenue for releasing music that doesn't get released on these other artists. So the first... Uh, album I had out, Street, Street Corner Prophecy, which featured Al Jarreau and Johnny Mathis, and you know, I, I don't want to say eclectic, but you know, the, those are different styles, and the spinners were on there, and uh, then I was able to introduce new artists that I found that were like uh, protégés of mine. Even my daughter was singing on there. So uh, I continued, I followed that up with two albums that Expansion Records released out of the UK, same kind of deal, and it was through that, uh, one of my uh, favorite artists, I won't mention who it was, but uh, she said, uh, Preston, you, you have a, a nice singing voice, you should, you, you should not be so shy about singing on some of the songs, so I, I ended up doing the next album uh, where I'm singing all the songs. And that was Elevator Speech. And I did, uh, how many? I did three of those kinds of albums. But then after my uh, third album like that, I said, okay, I'll go back to the uh, compilation type album format. And I've been doing, uh, I've been putting out albums 
entitled Preston Glass Presents Love and Compassion, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. And uh, these are all kind of message songs, even though it says love and compassion. We're talking about the kind of love for mankind, which uh, the world needs, you know, in one form or another. So I figured, let me make sure that the message on these songs all have something that will make you feel good, make you think, uh, and be based around love and compassion. Well, you know, it, it was interesting to me because, you know, you didn't put one out until 2006, but then you've, like, been making up for lost time or something. You know, you put out so many <laughs> since then, and um, it, it makes me feel like, you know, I think of somebody like, Chris Jasper, who's put out so many of his own records and he right. plays keyboards and, you know, where, you know, it's just a passion, you know, you have this passion to, to put out new music, you know, and you don't have to be sure it's going to get, you know, a certain amount of radio play or whatever you're doing it for yourself. I'm sure you have, you know, a loyal following too, but it's something that you feel like you need to do, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny you said that because I thought of the same thing, you know, Paul McCartney just put out. Was it uh, McCartney Three? I mean, here's a guy, you know, maybe the greatest songwriter of all time, but yet uh, he feels the need. I got to release something. I got to put out something. I got to do it. It, it. it is that kind of feeling. It's almost like uh, I got to eat this food over here. I got to drink this water. It's like a, a need, you know. Those uh, first couple of records I thought were really impressive. The uh, Street Corner Prophecy and the Music of Medicine, even Colors of Life. I mean, Colors of Life, a really cool theme, like concept Thank record. Thank you. And um, they're all just, they're expertly um, crafted, you know? I appreciate that. I kind of, I kind of look at an album, quote-unquote album, like a movie. You know, instead of just having a hodgepodge, you know, you got song there, song there, and they're all over the place. Like if someone were to listen to song one through 12, and they'll have an experience, a, uh, you know, some, a certain kind of experience through the whole thing. You know, I kind of, a little disappointed that albums, so to speak, are not looked upon the same way today as they were back in the day when I was growing up. But I, I still approach it that way. And you can hear so much of all of these influences that you've picked up like a sponge over the years, you know, whether it's the stuff that you did uh, producing the 80s and into the 90s, or going back to those soul artists, like you mentioned, the classic soul foundation. You know, I, I hear that all filtering through in different places. So, Thank you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I just did an album last year during the pandemic. Uh, so it was recorded where I did the tracks here, um, talking about the spinners. I did a 13-song uh, album that's coming out in June. And um, I really approached the album much that way, like a, a movie. And uh, vocal group-wise, since they've always been, you know, one of the premier vocal groups, I made sure that uh, I kind of used some of what I learned from Maurice White by putting interludes in the in between the songs, but instead of having the kalimba and all that, I had on the Spinners album acapella vocal passages to show that, yeah, these guys are really the real deal. They, they really can sing. So the, the album is called Round the Block and Back Again, 
and it'll be uh, I think the single maybe June and the album July. Yeah. Phenomenal. Well, we'll have spinners and temps come in for summertime. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, and you had some interludes on your own records too, and some of them, you know, I'm like, wow, that's so short, but it's so good. You know, it's like it should, that one should have been longer, I think. But <laughs> yeah, that's I think that's what they're they should achieve. You know, if if it makes a person feel that way. Well, I hope it won't embarrass you, but I, I'd like to just uh, mention a couple of a uh, few songs of yours that are among the favorites for me. And uh, all right. Um, I marked them off here. Um, well, on that second record, first off, people should know that these are full of <clears throat> stylistically so much variety. You know, you got slow stuff, you got mid tempo stuff, you have up tempo stuff. It's like really good variety. And uh, some of the people you didn't mention, I think, on that uh, second record are people like uh, Wilton Felder from The Crusaders and um, Marva King and Dave Cause. Um, Reby Jackson, Brian Culbertson, great players. Um, yeah, I was really fortunate to, I think, uh, you know, when you look at all these different artists that participated in these albums, one might, one actually, a person asked me, how'd you get all these people to agree to do something like that? And I think because it was a, uh, these were like, concept albums for me and they, they were looking to help me if it was something like okay we want to just make some money and have a hit and, and you know do it on you and then it'd be probably a different story but they were all like all the love and compassion albums they all subscribe to that idea about love and compassion and they agree to do it for that so we were, i was real fortunate to work with all these talents yeah, well, it's a beautiful thing. That's the best reason of all to, to, to do it. Um, Panic Button is a great funky track. Um, to me, it, it reminds me of like Prince meeting Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I had fun putting that together. That, that was going to be uh, uh, on a Maurice White solo album that Wyclef John was uh, going to executive produce. But, uh, you know, Many things are uh, done that end up not happening. So uh, at least we got a good song out of it. <laughs> yeah, and in a different lifetime that might have been a, a radio and club hit, and you know who knows, just the way these things go. Right. But uh, also something that you can bounce to is, um, oh, you know, now, got, now, you know who the artist is on that particular song. Uh, well, vocals say Jim, but. On, on something you can bounce to, yeah, she did backgrounds, but um, and Jam Jamia Jam is my daughter, but oh. uh, the actual artist was Derek Graham, and that's Larry Graham's son. Oh wow, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah, I've seen him on on, on Facebook, but uh, yeah, that one has a more modern sound, a little bit New Jack Swing flavor. All right. Yeah. Um, also, um, on the other record, that Purple Passion, it's got like a island kind of feel to it, right? Yeah, right. You know, I like that one. Um, Red Roses, Blue Violets, it's just a really nice ballad. Yeah, you know, Ollie Woodson was, ooh, 
probably my favorite male singer uh, of all time. I mean, just his voice, beautiful. Um, brown, real nice, thumping, kind of. I'm glad you like that. Yeah, I like that one. Um, and, and these records also, you, there's so much music on them. You packed the CD full. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, you know, back in the day when we were making albums, it had to be a certain amount of minutes for the grooves to not be uh, impacted by the sound. So now with CDs and digital, there, there's no limit, really. Yeah, I always say, I always hate those criticisms, you know. Oh, it would have been like, you know, a, an A-plus if it was shorter. You know, if the person's right. got music yeah, to know. share. I know. Yeah, I'll never forget, since we we're on this Prince uh, theme, I was dealing with an executive at Warner Brothers, and on his off, you know, I was doing another project there, and on his off time, he, he was telling me, uh, yeah, you know, can you believe these artists, they, they do some weird stuff, You like, like, you know, Prince... He just turns in too much music. <laughs> and I said to myself, of course I didn't say it to him, I said, what's wrong with that? There's nothing, there should, should be no such thing as too much music. I can see you being upset that he didn't turn in what he was supposed to or turn in enough music. I, I'll never forget that. I was like, man, you are a knucklehead to say he turned in too much music. Just a, another way why the industry was wrong-headed. Uh, um, but um, Psychedelic Dreams, that's a cool one too. I like that. Um, Ever Blue, Stevie Wonder influence, I hear all over that one. You know what's funny about this song is uh, the, uh, the artist on that song, Seabrun, he was being looked at by uh, Babyface and Tracy Edmonds for their label, Yabium, I think. And uh, he loved, Bayface loved that song. He was like, man, that's a great song. <laughs> well, it reminds me a little bit of Overjoyed by Stevie, but also um, Moon Blue by Stevie, which was on his last album. That was a great song. Yeah. Um, I can't believe it's been like 16 years since he put out a record. Well, yeah, I guess I guess he's got a couple of, two new songs that he just released uh, on his own. But uh, yeah, as far as an album, yeah, it's been a long time. Forever My Name, um, like a cha-cha kind of groove, would you call that? Um, okay, Forever My Flame, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote that lyric for my wife. Hey, I have to tell you that. <laughs> hey, well, perfect with Valentine's Day yesterday. Um, <laughs> Love It Unconditionally um, is a little in that same kind of vein, but also really nice. A great, uh, real hooky chorus to it. Thank you. I'm glad you're digging that stuff. And, you know, I used to be, for years, I was a disc jockey, so I had to sort of, like, go through a bunch of material and pull out stuff that I thought would get the crowd going. Right. So I always had a good ear for that. Um, right. Uh, Who You Choose, which uh, another Reggie Calloway was involved in that yeah, one. Right? Yeah, very good. Yeah, Reggie came out with some nice little lyrics on there. Um uh, that song was actually originally written for the stylistics, believe it or not. If you can imagine if the stylistics were to do like sort of a mid-tempo, up-tempo thing, 
that's why I'm seeing it a little higher on there. Yeah, it's kind of real slinky uh, feel to it. Um, game changer, different kind of for you because it almost felt like a little bit of a, a like a swampy kind of feel to it. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of purposely did that. You know, when you have a message like that, you don't want to be too nice because it's already kind of nice or preachy, so better funk it up a little bit. <laughs> Um, there's so many I could call out. Those are just uh, like well, the more recent you, ones. I'm glad, I'm glad you like them. Uh, to become a butterfly. Mm, yeah, that, that's another one of those where the message is, uh, you know, it's not like something you would uh, tell to your son or daughter, but uh, you don't want the music to be too sweet, so put a little groove on it. Um, and you talk about stylistics, incurable romantic. Oh yeah, that I kind of gave that away. I mean, <laughs> that was written for them. It, I just didn't have enough room on uh, one of the projects I did for them to include it, all the things that I wrote for them. But, so I said, I might as well do it myself. <laughs> well, you did it justice, I think. Um, but but anyway, it just you know, um, wait, did I miss one? I think that brings us up to uh, speed. So the last one that you put out is, uh, was it 2016 or have you done one since then? Or? No, that was the last solo. And then the uh, all the Pressing Glass Presents stuff followed that. I, I mentioned the Love and Compassion. I also have a, a series of Preston Glass Presents Dynamic Duets, uh, two of those projects and uh, some really sweet songs on there. Uh, Johnny Johnny Manuel and Terry Dexter, they do a song called I Remember that just knocks me out every time I hear it. And uh, there's a lot of interesting artists on those recordings too. So you mentioned a lot of new music. Is there anything else coming up that you'd like to make people aware of? Well, one thing uh, I always uh, am excited about is every six weeks, I, uh, along with my uh, label association, I have a label entitled uh, Platinum Garage Recordings, and it, uh, we have a joint venture with Soul Music Records in the UK, so we release product every six weeks. Sometimes it's a single, sometimes it's an album, and um, so we're coming out with something this Friday on a group called Ingram Street which uh, the two brothers out of uh, Ohio, they're fantastic. And um, let's see, this is the label that uh, I was able to release the Maurice White recordings on as well as the Larry Graham album. And uh, so we were able to release stuff on established artists as well as new artists and give them a platform, especially if I uh, produced them, you know, produced or wrote for them. So. Uh, we look forward to doing this. This keeps me active. Every six weeks we have to prepare something to release. Wow, that's like even more than in the old days when they put out a record every six months. Yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling, but, uh, you know, that's what I do to live. So. <laughs> and how can, uh, you know, where can people go to, to best keep up with all that? 
Uh, it's on all the platforms, so whether it's uh, iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, um, even Tidal, you know, uh, Amazon. Uh, just Google it and it'll pop up. Uh, the, if you're not sure of the title, like you just want to find out what I've been doing, just um, look up Platinum Garage Recordings or SoulMusicRecords.com. Fantastic. Um, looking back, uh, Preston, is there one accomplishment that you're most proud of? Wow. <laughs> I'd say, uh, besides uh, continuously staying excited about music, uh, there's been a documentary uh, shot on uh, my life and also my life and my wife's uh, life called Surviving and Thriving. They just finished editing it and uh, it's going to be at some of the film festivals, but it's basically I survived. Um, about I had a stroke uh, two years ago. I had two strokes actually, but uh, came out of them uh, okay. I survived and and thrived, hence the title. And then um, we're we're looking at the 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 uh, the title being from three aspects: surviving and thriving in the music business, surviving and thriving as a couple, a married couple. She's my manager, so we've had to deal with that for 36 years and as I mentioned my health issues there Wow well congratulations on, on coming back as you have from that um, you. you know that's the most important thing right there for sure um, when, when is that gonna start being seen uh, it's at a couple of uh, film festivals now so it remains to be seen how it's going to see the light of day as far as the public is concerned. Probably uh, end of the year, I would predict, but uh, definitely by the beginning of next year. Wow. Wow. So a lot to look out for. Well, this is going to be a momentous year for you, you it sounds like, 2021. I hope so. <laughs> well, hey, it's been so much fun talking to you and hearing these stories, and thank you for you know, being involved with so much great music that all of us have enjoyed over the years. Same here. Thank you so much for interviewing me and for going through my music and, and enjoying it. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store, for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven results-oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. 
Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Qualfine saying, keep on keep vibing on to the rhythm of the one.